Have you ever wondered if we are alone in the universe? Is there any scientific evidence showing that an intelligent designer created the heavens and the earth? Welcome to Darwin or Design on Tampa Bay's Christian Talk AM 570 and 910. You may have heard about the debate over intelligent design and Darwinism. Find out what the evidence says about the origin of life and mankind, and just what the experts are saying. Darwin or Design, brought to you by the C.S. Lewis Society. Now your host, the author of Doubts About Darwin and Darwin Strikes Back, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College in Trinity, Florida, Dr. Tom Woodward. And now today's special guest host on Darwin or Design is Dr. Woodward is away, Kevin Wirth. What a great show we have in store for you today. We have with us the godfather, I call him the godfather of intelligent design movement, Dr. Phil Johnson, and he's going to be sharing some very valuable information with us on the state of ID today and some important insights from a new book he's co-authoring. If you've never heard of Phil, or even if you have, you don't want to miss a single minute of our time with him. And uh, you're going to want to have a pencil and some paper ready if you're not uh, driving. So you can write down some information about a special offer we've prepared just for you at the end of today's show. I want to acknowledge and thank Joe Weaver. He's our wonderful technical producer. And uh, he's making this program possible through the miracle of ISDN while I'm here in the Salem studios in Seattle, Washington. And he's in the WTBN studios in Tampa Bay, Florida. Just a total corner to corner of the country. You ought to have somebody in El Paso. <laughs> well, we sound like we're in the same room together, even though we're at opposite ends of the country, and that's just wonderful. Um, and I would also like to thank our two sponsors for the Darwin and Design Show. Uh, these folks make it possible for us to bring you shows like this. Uh, first, we appreciate the support of the world-renowned eye clinic, St. Luke's Cataract and Laser Institute. Well, you just got to get to know these guys. St. Luke's uh, delivers the highest quality eye care at their main office in Tarpon Springs and also at their uh, other offices in St. Petersburg, uh, Tampa, Spring Hill, and I think Bayonet Point. Um, these guys make it really convenient for you to, to take care of your eye needs. Dr. James P. Gillis and his top-notch surgeons and medical staff are ready to bring you their unique touch of Christian loving care. And combined with the latest uh, technology and medical breakthroughs, you can be assured of uh, being very well treated. Um, uh, you can learn more about them at their website. That's at uh, www.stlukeseye.com. Or... You can reach them at uh, area code 727-938-2020. Get it? 2020. Cute, huh? <laughs> I like that. There's nothing uh, better than visualizing a phone number, right? Especially when you're talking about eye surgery. Uh, we want to also recognize the faithful support of the C.S. Lewis Society, which had the vision to launch this program nearly three years ago. The C.S. Lewis Society is dedicated to... I would say clearly and cogently presenting the case for biblical Christianity. Um, we present talks and debates on university campuses and in secular societies around the world. And we'd just like to invite you to visit the Society's website at www.apologetics.org. And you can reach the Society's office by calling area code 727-376-6911, extension 338, if you wish. And also, um, I'd like to put in a plug here for an article that you'll find uh, front and center on that website, written by Dr. Tom Woodward. It's called A Tale of Two Theories, where Dr. Woodward poses the question, how healthy is Darwin's theory in 2009 as we celebrate the 200th anniversary of the birth of Charles Darwin? And it's also the 150th anniversary of uh, his publication of the, the book On the Origin of Species. don't know if uh, all of you knew that 2009 is a banner year for both of those events. 
But anyway, in this article, uh, Dr. Woodward offers you five key concepts outlining uh, some of the problem issues with Darwin's theory today. And so uh, to learn more about why this year is both the best of times and the worst of times for Darwin's theory, be sure to visit apologetics.org and read this important article and learn more about some of the important resources recommended by Dr. Woodward. Now... Our guest today almost needs no introduction. Folks, if you've ever been slightly introduced to the concept of intelligent design since about 1991, then when he published his uh, the first of many books um, on this subject called Darwin on Trial, then uh, you've heard the name Phil Johnson. He's a graduate of both Harvard and the University of Chicago Law School and was a law clerk for Chief Justice Earl Warren of the United States Supreme Court. And, Phil, I believe you taught at the University of California Bolt Law School for what? Over 30 years? Uh, 33 years. Not long. Not very long. <laughs> but you're now retired, but you're still living in Berkeley, right? Yes, that's right. And this is my last radio interview, by the way. I'm retiring from all media work when uh, after this. Uh, uh, I'm turning it over, you know, my, my share of it over to my uh, co-author, uh, uh, forthcoming book, uh, pr- pr- Professor John Mark Reynolds of Biola University, who's a very experienced uh, media hand and blogger. Uh, so uh, okay, I think well, uh, he's very suited to do the interviews and that kind of thing. And well, that's great. I'm, I'm very, ready to retire from it. We're very honored to be the folks that get to to close out and do your last media interview, Phil. I mean, I wasn't aware of that. But um, for our listeners... Um, well, hey. uh, uh, I decided to do this one because, as you and uh, I know, and you're from Discovery Institute uh, there in Seattle, and uh, Tom Woodward, who has been a close associate of mine uh, uh, from the uh, earliest days of my uh, the Darwinian uh, escapade. So I'm quite uh, uh, always willing to... Uh, uh, do something for old friends. Oh, thank you, Phil. The, you know, uh, way back in the day, uh, I was, uh, I still am, with Access Research Network, and uh, I think we had a hand in being a big help and partner in my work all along. Mm-hmm. I remember sure them back that. in the days, they were called the Students for Origins Research, that which was a name I liked a whole lot. But they couldn't use it anymore because they grew up and they weren't students anymore. <laughs> yeah, but we still target students, Phil, so um, that hasn't gone away. And uh, so, you know, I, I just want to let our listeners know that more than perhaps anyone else on the planet, um, I believe Phil is recognized for popularizing one of the most controversial modern criticisms of evolution that we are looking at today, and that you were instrumental in launching what is known today as the concept of intelligent design. Well, you so, know, I thought that, uh, you, know, you say, uh, controversial approaches uh, to evolution, so and I thought I was just pointing out some facts, obvious <laughs> truths. I don't know why I'm so controversial, but I guess I am. Well, you always have been, and it's been a very good thing. So, you know, if I may, I'd like to say, since this is going to be your last media broadcast, Phil, I'd like to say a very big thank you on behalf of really, literally, millions of Americans who have read your books, heard you debate over the years, and who've become inspired to take a much more critical view of evolution than they otherwise would have. This is uh, quite a contribution, I think, you've made. So... um, if I could, just let me begin by asking you, what was it? I mean, you're you're a law professor. What was it that inspired you, a Berkeley law professor, to take on evolution? Why was this so important to you? Well, I noted uh, one thing as I was 
reviewing the subject, and that was that the, the stereotype of this whole uh, controversy is that <clears throat> it's uh, science versus the Bible, and that there are these people who don't want to believe in this uh, well-established theory of evolution because uh, they rather believe the Bible. And I, as I said, I said, well, uh, that's not really the heart of the controversy as I see it. The great uh, problem with the theory of evolution, as it's taught in our textbooks and television programs and all, is the mechanism. And the problem with the mechanism doesn't have anything to do with the Bible or somebody's religious doctrine. It has to do with the scientific evidence. There just isn't any substantial scientific evidence that natural selection, the Darwinian mechanism for evolution, has anything like the vast creative power it would have to have for the theory to be true. So what was it? Was it the lack of evidence that inspired you to get into this? Or yeah, what was a, it that was the most important thing that kind of got you going in this? Well, Sorry. it was. I said, what the, the great problem uh, in this uh, whole area is that if you examine the Darwinian mechanism and say, what, what is it? It's the accumulation of random genetic variations through the fact that some organisms leave more offspring than others. Uh, and uh, the ones that happen to leave more offspring are the ones we call the fittest. That's how it's defined by the outcome. Now, some folks so, uh, as a, now what uh, is that? It's all true. It's not that this, that this theory isn't true. The problem was it is that it's true only at a relatively trivial level. It, it, it can account for modest uh, uh, variations in uh, essentially stable species. So that, uh, for example, there's this uh, uh, famous uh, observation that was made in, of, uh, of birds, uh, finches, on an island in the Pacific Ocean, in the Galapagos chain. Now, the finches uh, were uh, a subject that, that they have a severe climate uh, differential on, on the island where they, they live. And the, uh, for one period, there was a terrible drought on all the uh, uh, vegetables uh, that the, all the plants that the birds depend upon for seeds to eat that dried up. So uh, most of the finches died during this drought. And the, uh, the, the relatively small number that survived uh, were, you know, uh, were measured. They, they'd been taking measurements of the, studying the finches the biologists had for some years. And so they had measurements of the finches' uh, beaks, both before and after the period of drought. And it turned out that the beaks were slightly larger, very slightly larger, uh, after the drought than they had been before. And the uh, 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 biologists who studied this species theorized that the reason for the uh, change in the average uh, size of the finches' beaks it had to do with the drought, that the uh, birds with larger beaks had uh, an advantage in eating the last tough seeds that remained on the island. And that's so very, uh, the that's smaller very interesting. beaks died in great numbers, and some of the larger beaked ones survived. That's all very interesting, Phil. Um, 
You know, uh, we need to go away for a break here, but uh, we'll be right back to tackle more from the fertile mind of Phil Johnson right after this. Welcome back to Darwin or Design on Tampa Bay's Christian Talk, AM 570 and 910 WTBN. Once again, here's the host of Darwin or Design, Dr. Tom Woodward. We're talking with Phil Johnson about intelligent design. I'm your host, Kevin Worth. Phil, tell us about the new book that you're co-authoring. Uh, what's, uh, what's it about? Well, it's about uh, something we started out uh, calling... Uh, the subject, the new atheists, and they. Uh, this is about a, a group that's rather well known and getting a lot of publicity because they are selling an enormous amount of books. They are coming out of uh, mainstream science and uh, putting aside the usual party line of uh, the scientific uh, institutions, and which is that. Uh, uh, they aren't saying anything about religion, and uh, they're just giving you the facts of how evolution works, and uh, that's not going to affect your religion at all if if you don't want it to. But uh, uh, this uh, new group is is saying, well, if you learn to think in the right way scientifically, uh, uh, you'll realize that uh, uh, there is no uh, uh, evidence for God. There's no God. And uh, so... Now, now we're calling them now the, the new evangelical atheists, and that's a term that's also used about them, the evangelical atheists. So uh, what's new about them, really, is that they're evangelical. They're making the arguments for atheism that are similar to the ones that have always been made. Science doesn't recognize God, and uh, there's been a whole lot of conflict uh, over uh, religion and God uh, uh, for centuries, and so the best thing to do, they say, is to get rid of the whole idea. Mm-hmm. Then there'll be less conflict. Uh, they don't prove that that's true, nor could they, but they like to say it. Uh, now, what's evangelical about these atheists is that they uh, they want to convert the whole world to their way of thinking, and they think they can do it. Their arguments sound so good to them that they think everybody's going to believe them in time. Maybe not right away, but in time they will see that uh, if you understand science and if you understand how much trouble religion causes, you will realize that the idea of God is uh, a leftover from centuries ago and it ought to be abolished. So they uh, want to uh, convert the world, and they think that they can do it. As is often the case, uh, their ideas sound wonderful to themselves, And so they believe that everybody is bound to accept them eventually. So that's the evangelical part. They're they're going to save your soul by converting you to atheism. And what do you think is, um, for the folks that promote that view, what do you think is the most flawed argument that they have to offer? Well, this is one of the things that uh, interests me. They, uh, uh, because it's one that a lot of uh, people are afraid to touch. They want to stay away from, and that is the claim that science has uh, adequately explained the, the existence of everything in the world and how, how everything came about, while allowing no place for God in what they say. So that that's their claim, and this is 
why the, what we were talking about a minute ago is so relevant to this. See, the fact is that uh, the mechanism by which all the living things in, in the world are supposed to have been created, this uh, natural selection, has never been shown to do anything except make trivial changes in species that already exist and that are uh, staying the same. So you get these trivial changes, uh, like the, the size of the beaks of some finches are a little larger after uh, a drought than before, on average. And then uh, when they have rain the next year, the beak size goes back to normal. So the changes are trivial, and they are uh, cyclical. They're not permanent. They're going nowhere. So these finches are not in the process of changing into something else. Uh, that's true of all of the examples of, uh, of the Darwinian mechanism that can be seen in nature. There are trivial changes that do not result in anything fundamentally new and are reversed as soon as the environment changes again. You get the, uh, the rain after a period of drought, and then all the rules change, and the, uh, the species goes back to what it was before. You know, Phil, if I could just do a really quick segue onto a related topic, if I could. You know, you've written an awful lot of stuff in your books, and I noticed that uh, that this whole idea and the whole concept of religion and science has always been at the forefront. The debate just rages on, and uh, nobody seems to be able to come to some consensus about it. But in one of your books uh, called The Wedge of Truth, um, there's a chapter in there called The Empire Strikes Back. And uh, it's one of my favorite chapters in that book. Um, in fact, uh, I refer to a lot of uh, the, your critics um, as coming from the dork side of the farce. Um, but uh, uh, in that chapter, um, you mention you know, you're talking about uh, Ken Miller, who talks about uh, elephant fossils, for example, as another piece of evidence um, for evolution. Yeah, but you go if to you elephant fossils, so they're, they're, they change a little bit. They're a little different from uh, some from others. So there there are slightly different forms of elephants yeah. in the fossil record. Yeah. Now in that book, though, you say that there is no scientific explanation for the origin of that easily recognizable elephant type that Miller's talking about, other than speculation based on unjustified extrapolation. My question for you, Phil, is how prevalent is the use of extrapolation, imagination, conjecture, that sort of thing, when these folks talk about evolution? Well, it's all uh, extrapolation and conjecture. That's it. You get. Uh uh, when you're dealing with how the changes come about, now the, the the fact there is a background of fact here, which is that there is a pattern of similarities among all living uh, creatures, and uh, uh, so they'll say, well, that means there's a common ancestry, and that's evolution. Uh, now, a pattern of similarities could be due to the fact that uh, there is a process of common ancestry, or that there is a, that. The organisms all trace back to a single creator. So they uh, they rule the creator out of uh, consideration because they don't like the idea. They think it uh, uh, allows the entry into uh, a natural history of something that science doesn't know anything about. So since they don't know anything about it, it can't be there. Yeah. You know, um, a lot of educators 
all across America, and I know you're aware of this, um, face an increasing amount of discrimination for uh, coming about, you know, coming around and talking to students and, and their colleagues about some of the very things that you've written about over the years. Uh, and this discrimination... Some people into trouble. They've uh, uh, <laughs> developed doubts about all this evolutionary speculation, and then yeah. when they're bold enough to speak them, uh, they get attacked. I think you have had a big hand in that, Phil. But you know, um, this discrimination against Darwin doubting educators and scientists—how serious is this, in your opinion? Oh well, it's uh, quite serious. The, uh, the Darwinists are very uh, intolerant. They cannot stand for any fundamental questioning of their theory. You can question certain details, provided that uh, you can come up with another solution, which is completely naturalistic, which is, that is uh, depends only on a natural process of uh, uh, descent, like parent to child and the variations you get between a parent and a child. Uh, then so you can't uh, have any speculation which would allow a design or an intelligent co- uh, cause in the course of this uh, uh, history of life, because they think, well, that intelligent cause would somehow or another turn out to be God, and they don't want anything to do with that. So they're they're terribly afraid that God will step back into the picture, unless they have a completely materialistic system. That depends only upon natural material causes. Yeah, now a lot of these educators make the argument that, you know, we're not teaching students about religion. We're talking to them about philosophy and philosophy of science and scientific evidence. And so um, what do you say to the critics who say, oh, there can't be any scientific evidence for uh, uh, intelligent design? Well, they'll say we can't... uh, uh there can't be any evidence for an intelligent design because we can't see the designer at work. But, of course, they can't see see creative natural selection at work either. But that's something they like. So they will accept that as a not only a scientific theory, but a scientific absolute truth that you cannot question without losing your job. You know, Phil, I just wanted to also make a plug for a book that's uh, been out. It came out last October. Um, It's called Slaughter of the Dissidents by Dr. Jerry Bergman. And this book talks a lot about uh, the discrimination that's been going on uh, against uh, Darwin Doubting educators especially, but also scientists. Uh, I know you've had a chance to take a look at that book. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's a very complete record, an explanation of all of the discrimination that has been going on. Many people have seen the uh, the movie Expelled, which is a brief summary treatment of the issues of the tremendous uh, thought control and uh, uh, oppression that has gone on in the world of science and education to prevent people from questioning this very questionable theory. So, uh, Expelled is uh, some one reviewer said Expelled is the tip of the iceberg and. A slaughter of the dissidents is the uh, vast, uh, submerged uh, 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 mountain of ice underneath the surface. Well, there's another book, by the way, coming out uh, by Dr. Carolyn Crocker, and I'm gonna we're gonna have to break after I uh, make the covered in expelled and in uh, slaughter of the dissidents. Somebody right. who has lost her job because she 
tried to teach this subject uh, objectively rather than to follow the party line uh, without question. And we want to hold that thought as we go into the break. We're going to return with our special guest, Dr. Phil Johnson, so please don't go away. Welcome back to Darwin or Design on Tampa Bay's Christian Talk, AM 570-910 WTBN. Once again, here's the host of Darwin or Design, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome back. You're listening to the Darwin and Design Show. I'm your host, Kevin Worth, and we're talking today with our esteemed guest, Dr. Phil Johnson. But before we get back to Phil, I'd like to let you know that you can reach Dr. Tom Woodward by sending him an email addressed to information at apologetics.org. That's his email address. That's I-N-F-O-R-M-A-T-I-O-N at apologetics.org. O-R-G. And you can reach me by sending an email address to kwirthid, that's K-W-I-R-T-H-I-D at gmail.com. And we both hope you'll take a minute to write and let us know what topics or people you'd like to have us offer you on this show. Or if you have a question about a resource that you'd like some assistance with or you think might be helpful to you, please just write either one of us and ask. Either way, it's always good to hear from you for any reason. Let us know what's on your mind. Also, you can find a, uh, I need to let you know that you can find a real goldmine of resources at the apologetics.org online bookstore. We stock a great variety of exciting DVDs and books designed to help equip you and help you understand the scientific evidence that uh, points to a designer, a master architect of the universe and of life. Some of these resources make great graduation gifts and, or you might want to think about stocking up early for Christmas. I also want to say another big thank you to St. Luke's Cataract and Laser Institute, which has offices all over Tampa Bay. St. Luke's is led by Dr. James P. Gills, who is the world's most experienced cataract surgeon. And he, along with his son, Dr. Pitt Gills, and their world-class medical staff are ready to bring you the very best quality eye care. Excellence with love is their motto, and it's more than a motto. It's a daily commitment to you. So please give them a call at area code 727-938-2020. And don't forget to check out their website at stlukesi.com. And now let's get back with Dr. Phil Johnson, who's been kind enough to share some of his thoughts and insights with us today. And just before the break, uh, we left off, we just kind of touched on uh, the new book coming out by Dr. Carolyn Crocker, who was featured in Expelled. She's coming out with a book uh, called Free to Think, when she talks all about... Um, her experience as an educator and uh, what kind of trouble she got into. And uh, mm-hmm. Well, uh, good for her. She's got a lot of courage, and I look forward to seeing the book. <laughs> It'll be uh, coming out uh, sometime in June of 2009, we hope, and uh, hope our listeners will be on the lookout for that. I'm sure we'll be letting you know when it does. Phil, um, I want to just ask you a couple other questions. Um, do you consider ID to be purely scientific or mainly philosophical? I consider it to be truly scientific in the sense that uh, what I would say is that the scientific evidence considered without prejudice uh, points in the direction of the need to consider an intelligent cause in the history of life. 
Now, I wouldn't say that something is proved, but that's the, the way that the evidence is pointing. And so it ought to be considered because that's just a statement about the evidence. Okay, so what's, the, your, uh, what's your opinion about introducing something like intelligent design into public school curricula? Well, I don't care whether it's in the public school curricula. I, what ought to be in the public school curricula is a, uh, uh, an objective teaching of the theory of evolution, at least, instead of a propagandistic uh, teaching. So the, the, the lack of evidence for creative natural selection ought to be uh, a part of that te- teaching rather than a uh, propagandistic statement that, of course, that's how everything was created. Yeah. There, there's well, an absence of evidence. Okay. So, given that, um, when you take a look at intelligent design today and all the stuff that's gone on over the years leading up to the present day, what would you say is one of the biggest challenges for intelligent design today? And it, it, I get, when I say challenges, I mean challenges to its acceptance or the acceptance of the. Well, the uh, biggest. Uh, uh, challenge, uh, Kevin, is that the uh, Darwinists have succeeded in capturing the brand label science for their materialist philosophy. And that's, uh, that means that when uh, ever this subject is uh, covered in the newspapers or other major media, the uh, assumption is that the materialistic explanation for everything that happened uh, is science, and therefore it's been absolutely proved to be true. Now, that's not at all the case, but it's, we're talking about speculation and extrapolation by some scientists, but uh, it isn't uh, the proof. And the, uh, one of the major uh, criteria of science, as I understand it, is that it has to be backed by the evidence. It doesn't matter how many people say, oh, I want to believe that, and it's true, therefore. You can always appeal from the judgment of the experts to the evidence itself. But that's not allowed in this case. Yeah, I noticed that uh, as I read through a book like The Wedge of Truth, for example, you do you go to great lengths to explain to your readers uh, just you know what the evidence is, and you provide them a new perspective, a new way of looking, or a different way of looking at the evidence uh, from an well, ID I perspective. Do, and I find that once people do start to get objective and a little skeptical about the claims that are made, generally it grows, and that's why uh, they, they turn into full-fledged doubters and opponents of the Darwinian uh, uh, oppression. And so, so the, the, they just start with a little bit of doubt and. Then they go farther and farther because they see more and more to object to. They see more and more extrapolation and uh, unsubstantiated claims. Now, I, Phil, I, I really like the, the thing that you've said here. You've said that uh, the evolutionists own the brand label of science. And I understand that from a marketing perspective. I've done enough marketing in my life to understand how important branding is. What would you say... Um, intelligent design folks would need to do to overcome that handicap and maybe uh, make you know make some damage in that brand label. Well, we're doing it. Um, one, uh, uh, I think, uh, a big step forward is coming uh, in uh, 
the uh, uh, spring uh, next year, so maybe this summer sometime. Uh, uh, Dr. Steve Meyer of the Discovery Institute is publishing his book, uh, The Signature in the Cell, which is a masterful scientific treatment of the operation of the cellular DNA uh, RNA protein synthesis uh, mechanism. And I think that enormous number of scientists who read that are going to be convinced that you're seeing the operation of intelligence here. Many of them already are uh, convinced of that. They see that there's no way to explain the origin of that uh, DNA uh, uh, protein synthesis mechanism by uh, uh, materialist causes. Hmm. So that's, uh, you know, the uh, books are coming out and the research is being done, and the uh, eventually the truth will win out. I believe that that's inevitable uh, in the very long run in science. Of course, it can take a very long time for it to happen, and you get vested interests and uh, people who are afraid of losing their reputations who won't allow any change in their ruling ideas, and they can slow things up for a long period of time. That's what we're in right now. Uh, yeah, but that's, uh, uh, that's one of the criticisms of intelligent design over the years is that it's been kind of big on talk and kind of low on the evidence. Why do you think it's taken this long to you know bring out into the forefront more of this uh, kind of evidence you're talking about from, uh, say, books like Steve Myers that's, that's forthcoming this year? Not valid. We've been bringing out the evidence all along. The thing is that the uh, Darwinian uh, monopoly on uh, the science brand uh, says it's not evidence if it doesn't follow our materialist philosophy. Now, that's the the real uh, 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 sacred cause here is materialism uh, as a philosophy, that uh, the uh, Darwinists would change their specific biological theory if they got another one that would be equally materialistic and would restrict life to material causes and allow no room for a designer or a creator. Hmm. But that, that's the, the, the all-important thing to them. So they say it's, it's not evidence because it comes to the wrong conclusions. Now, eventually, that will be worn down, but uh, it's taking a long time to get there. But the evidence... Uh, uh, has been coming out all along, and I uh, uh, wonderful job of summarizing the evidence with regard to the cell in uh, Dr. Stephen Meyer's book, The Signature in the Cell, that's coming out uh, in a few months. Um, Phil, I just want to refer our leaders. There's another book out. It's been out for a while. It's called Darwinism, Design, and Public Education, and it's edited by John Angus Campbell and Stephen C. Meyer. Yeah. And in that book, uh, you've contributed a chapter. It's called The Rhetorical Problem of Intelligent Design. And uh, in that chapter, you start out with a very interesting comment. You say that the greatest hurdle faced by the intelligent design or ID movement is to overcome the prejudice that says to attribute anything in biology to a designer is to engage in religion rather than science. How do you respond? And, you know, I think we're going to have to break here, but I want to ask you to keep that question in mind and uh, be prepared to tell our listeners what you think um, right when, when we return after this break. Thank you for tuning in to a very special edition of Darwin or Design Today, featuring guest host Kevin Wirth and Dr. Philip Johnson.
You know, Darwin or Design is a one-of-a-kind program, taking a look at the deeper issues involved with Darwinism and intelligent design theory and the comparisons and contrasts between the two. If you'd like to learn more about Darwin or Design, Dr. Tom Woodward, or the C.S. Lewis Society, there's a great website where you can get incredible information. Apologetics.org. That's apologetics.org. Back in a moment with more on Darwin or Design on AM 570 and 910 WTBN. Welcome back to Darwin or Design on Tampa Bay's Christian Talk, AM 570 and 910 WTBN. Once again, here's the host of Darwin or Design, Dr. Tom Woodward. And now today's special guest host on Darwin or Design is Dr. Woodward is away, Kevin Wirth. Phil, we left uh, at the end of the last segment uh, with a question uh, from something you wrote. Um, the greatest hurdle faced by the intelligent design movement is to overcome the prejudice that says that to attribute anything in biology to a designer is to engage in religion rather than science. Um, don't most people tend to think about uh, a designer, an intelligent being, a supreme being as religion? Most people, uh, well, uh, there's a lot of propaganda to that effect from the Darwinist establishment, but no, I don't think they do. It, uh, whatever the evidence points to is science, in my view. But if you say, well, uh, we don't want to hear about the evidence because we've decided that what you're trying to say uh, belongs to another label, then that is a corruption of science. That isn't science. That's, And, and in fact, it's the Darwinists who are... Uh, uh, promoting uh, their religion in the name of science. This is uh, what they're doing is they're, they're saying uh, materialism, uh, a materialist cause must be responsible for everything. There, there can't be any intelligent causes. And if you, you say that there's evidence uh, uh, for an intelligent cause, we don't want to hear about it because we don't like evidence. Uh, we like our answer. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, um, speaking of answers and and the things that are being taught to students today, um, how would you say, what would you say um, about how high school students and college students can um, best prepare themselves to understand this issue? Well, uh, I think uh, that uh, they they do this. High school and college students can get together and... uh, discuss the material amongst themselves, and they can understand that the instructors are uh, not free to uh, uh, talk about the evidence objectively, that they must uh, uh, preach the Darwinist party line or lose their jobs. Carolyn Crocker's uh, story is a good example of how this works. So the students will say, uh, we see this objection and that objection, that the Darwinist uh, mechanism and natural selection doesn't ever seem to do any creating. It just makes these trivial changes in fundamentally unchanging species. So uh, why doesn't the instructor recognize this? Well, the instructor doesn't recognize it because he or she doesn't want to get fired. Uh, Mm. uh, Also, he or she has been through a terrific brainwashing in the educational system and so may not be able to see the problems with the material that's being taught. And, uh, but if, if, if he or she does see the problems and brings them out, there's going to be trouble. This is not a free society with respect to this subject. We have a great uh, respect for freedom of thought and freedom of speech, but in other subjects. 
See, the brand label science intrudes here, and you don't have freedom of thought in science. You have definite, absolute answers, and everybody is supposed to accept them without thinking further. Yeah, that's so, exactly uh, what... It's uh... Freedom of thought uh, that uh, is, is at work here. It's that brand label, and it's the uh, advertising process that, I must say, they've done very well. Yeah, and that's exactly what uh, the book Slaughter of the Dissidents addresses. And uh, say so we, you know, Dr. Bergman, who wrote that book, uh, talks a lot about uh, educators and scientists who need to stay in the closet if they are Darwin doubters at all. But what advice would you give to Christian undergraduates who are majoring in some kind of science today, um, with regard to you know how they should share their views or how they should approach uh, their careers, um, what kind of cautions they might want to take? and share their views with other students and maybe off the record with the teacher. And that's probably just about all they can do these days to try to get the teacher to uh, accept their views in the classroom. And that is probably impossible because uh, the, uh, 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 the teacher is not free to do that without losing his or her job. So, uh, I think uh, we have to be sensitive to the problems that these teachers face and uh, just realize that if they're not telling the truth, it's because they're not free to. It's not because they don't want to. Hmm. Well, Phil, why are evolutionists so threatened by intelligent design? Or, you know, how do Darwin... Well, I think they're threatened because they have a serious problem. They know that they don't have evidence for creative natural selection, and that is at the very heart of their system. So if uh, the discussion gets going too freely... I don't know. I think a lot of them really do think that they have ample evidence. In fact, a lot of them think they have overwhelming evidence. They're not at all convinced that uh, you're on the right side of that statement. So what do you say to somebody who just comes at you and says, you're full of beans? Well, they've been uh, they've been taught to say that, and they, 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 they do say that, and uh, they'd better say it. <laughs> uh, uh, then, they, then they get carried away by emotion, and probably in many cases they very sincerely believe it. But then, in fact, you'll, you'll find that they stay away from the subject of creative natural selection. They don't want to deal with it. They'll merely talk vaguely about evolution. And what is evolution? It turns out evolution is any change at all. So, see, they think the Finchbeak case that I talked about a, a while before is an example of evolution. So that proves that... Uh, uh, we all evolve from uh, a single-celled amoebae or whatever. So it's all, any example proves the whole thing, even though it's an example of the theory operating at a trivial level. Because the, the, the will to believe is so strong that they set the evidentiary bar very low so that their evidence will always pass it. And that's what they're taught to do, and they do do. And they say, well, we have uh, overwhelming evidence. When they say that, you've got to realize what they think of as evidence. They think, well, we've got the Finchbeak case, so we have overwhelming evidence of evolution. Look at those Finchbeaks were sometimes larger and sometimes smaller. So the theory is uh, absolutely true and can't be doubted. Hmm. Well, well uh, it's know. okay. I, can, I don't doubt it. At the Finchbeak level, probably works pretty well. The, 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 the trivial variations that are only temporary, but we don't see finches. We don't see finches evolving into eagles, uh, much less people, and we never will. So, uh, but they, they see that any change whatsoever is evolution, and the evidence of any change proves the whole theory. And according to the way that 
our, our teachers are taught to think. Yeah, Phil, um, that is one of the most powerful pieces of evidence that's used in support of evolution, and there's others as well. So, but, but what I hear you saying is that uh, evolutionists are actually beguiled by what they're calling evidence. Is that my, a proper understanding of what you're saying? Yes, well, it's that they are lear- they've learned to think in a way that uh, uh, any... Uh, 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 a piece of support, whatever, constitutes proof of the entire theory. They're, they're, they're learned to think in a way that uh, doubts never occur to them. You know, I have to say, I agree with you on that point because I notice all the time, you know, we see news stories in the media where, oh, they found another fossil for this, that, or the other thing, and they always refer to it as another missing link. And it's never just another piece of evidence. It's always, oh, this fossil is just another missing link in the theory of evolution. So um, how can how can people who are on the intelligent design side of the debate address stuff like that when when it happens? Uh, what can we well, say? We have we, we do address it. We have uh, these articles and books, and we've actually made a lot of progress in terms of reaching individuals throughout the scientific world and so on. Where we haven't been successful is with institutional science. Hmm. See, it's, this is a great castle of privilege and uh, vested interest, which is unwilling to see its fundamental doctrines questioned. So uh, they have been uh, just uh, putting the wagons around in a circle and uh, stonewalling on the evidence. Hmm. Uh, If it's evidence that uh, undermines their theory, then it's not evidence at all. Yeah. Phil, I've got one last question for you. Um, It's... um, What's the one thing you'd like most to be remembered for? Um, maybe, maybe it's what you consider to be your most important contribution in this debate. What would that be? Well, uh, I uh, feel that if I've done anything really important, it's to get uh, a way of thinking started that allows people to begin to question the unquestionable, to see this thing that they are taught to take for granted and suddenly perceive the flaws in it and begin to think in a new way. And then I have always tried to bring along any anybody that seems to have uh, caught on to this uh, skeptical way of thinking and to have talent in expressing it and to help them to get started in writing a, a difference in the world. So I like to, to, to think of myself as one who has helped other people get started and to flower in their careers. Uh, well, you know, and, I think you've definitely done that, and uh, we sure all appreciate that. Phil, we've run out of time all too soon with you today, and I want to thank you once again for coming well, on the show. I've got to go to my nap now. Anyway. <laughs> I want to thank you for sharing your insights with our listeners, and also, once again, for all that you've done over the years. And again, what a privilege and honor it is to have you on our show and to be the last media interview you're going to be granting anybody. That's, uh, that's a rare honor. Um, thank well, you very I've much. Well, I've retired from uh, law teaching. Now I'm going to retire from media work. <laughs> Well, you know, we wish you all the best and much continued uh, success as you rest and uh, hand the baton off to others. And you've done a terrific yes, job. I'm, I'm glad to have the next generation take the leadership as they are doing. <laughs> well, thanks for all the work you've done, Phil. Oh, well, thank you, uh, Kevin, and congratulations on your own work. Thank uh, you. Goodbye, then. It's been great talking with you, Phil. 
And uh, folks, as we close, I just want to make sure to let you know that uh, there is that very special offer I mentioned to you at the start of this broadcast. Actually, there are two. <laughs> um, Access Research Network, otherwise known as ARN, um, has put together a couple offers for you. And you can check uh, check out their website at www.arn.org. They're making these two offers available just for our listeners, and it's good for the next 30 days only. First, you can snag Phil's book, The Wedge of Truth, that we talked about during the show, and it's published by InterVarsity Press. And in that book, he talks about how to split the metaphorical and philosophical log of naturalism by asking the right questions about uh, different types of evidence used to support evolution. Now, this book is loaded with page after page of insight about how science and evidence should be contemplated as it, as it uh, relates to the idea of Darwin and design. The hardback version of this book, which normally retails at $18, is yours today for just $10. And that includes free shipping. Now, the second offer is actually pretty unbelievable and has never been offered anywhere or any time to anyone. Arn has taped many of uh, Phil Johnson's lectures, debates, and interviews made over the years, and they've scoured their vault and put together an impressive collection of 10 videos just for you on uh, multi-regional DVDs. Now, normally these videos would sell for 25 bucks each, but just for Darwin and Design listeners, they're offering all 10 videos at half off. So instead of paying $250 for those 10 videos, you get all 10 for just $125. Now, this tremendous offer also includes free shipping, just like the other offer. But you can only get these videos from ARN because they're the folks who produced them. Now, time doesn't allow you to get into all the details about all these offers, but you can learn more about these videos and the book itself just by going to the ARN website, as I mentioned, www.arn.org, and do a search uh, for the first offer, the book offer, by entering in this code, B as in boy, 037, and for the video series, enter the code V as in Victor, 070. And you know what? I'm also going to throw in a free bonus report for anyone who places an order any one of those um, two items in the next 30 days. It's a quote report I created on the use of speculation, imagination, and conjecture, and we kind of touched on that in the show today um, as it relates to evolution. Um, Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks once again for listening. I'm your host, Kevin Worth, and just remember, this is a time of real opportunity for those of you who want to prepare your hearts and minds to talk about Darwin and design with your friends and family and anybody else that's interested. And we're here to help you do that. So until next time, keep us in your prayers, won't you? Bye for now. <laughs>